Uh, just for the record, how did they how did they film that scene with you hold with Cummings there on the uh, on set? Should I really reveal this after? <laughs> I know you never talked about this. I've never revealed this. <laughs> but I love this audience, so I will. <laughs> Robertson, along with Tony Figueroa, Donna Allen, and our guest, Mark DeWidziak, as we pay tribute to legendary actor, writer, and director, Norman Lloyd. Norman Lloyd, a man whose career in film, television, radio, and the stage pretty much spanned the entire history of 20th century entertainment. Norman Lloyd passed away this past Tuesday, May 11th, at the age of 106. Mark DeWidziak interviewed Norman Lloyd on two occasions while he was television critic for the Cleveland Plain Dealer. Donna? Would you consider him an actor's actor? No. And the reason I say that, and that's not really a detriment. It's really not really an insult. Norman Lloyd didn't get enough chances to demonstrate whether he was an actor. I mean, to me, an actor's actor is somebody like Hal Holbrook. Um, you know, somebody who got the chances to do great leading roles, got great character roles, got great supporting roles, played villains, played this, you know. You look at Norman Lloyd's acting credits, and there just aren't that, as many. Where Norman Lloyd gets impressive is when you put all of the credits together and you look at what this okay. man did. I'm going to take just a second here to just isolate one, one little phase of his career, and that's his work on Alfred Hitchcock Presents and the Alfred Hitchcock Hour. Norman Lloyd was a producer, a director, and sometimes actor on Alfred Hitchcock Presents and the Alfred Hitchcock Hour. When you put everything together that he did with that show, and you could argue in some ways he was one of the most important contributors to that show, his name is on more than 250 episodes. That's a stunning number of episodes, and... The episodes that he has his hand in are episodes that are iconic to Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Not the least of which, if you ask somebody, you say, like, like, okay, if you had to, what do you think the greatest episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents? Then you're going to get an argument on this. But always in the discussion is going to be the adaptation of the Raoul Dahl story, Man from the South with Steve McQueen and Peter Lorre. For those of your, your listeners who do not know this story, Peter Lorre plays a gambler who challenges Steve McQueen, who is proud of this Zippo lighter that he has, that his lighter can't light 10 times in a row. And McQueen says it, it, it never fails. And he says, do you want to make a bet on it? And so they make a bet. The bet is that if the lighter does not light 10 times in a row, Steve McQueen gets his little finger chopped off. And so the, the whole episode is built on the suspense of each time the lighter working or not working. 
And what's going to happen if it fails? And it's one of the most suspenseful half hours in television history. You have two wonderful actors playing this out. Norman Lloyd is not only the producer of that episode, he directed it. So Norman Lloyd is... Now, this is where Norman Lloyd gets impressive. When you start to put together the producing credits, the acting credits, and the directing credits, and that's where Norman Lloyd... And this is always difficult for most Americans, and I'd hate to put it this way, but most Americans have a real tough time with something people should be rewarded for. But in the pop culture, they rarely do, and that's versatility. We love, why do we love Hitchcock so much? Why is Hitchcock so lionized? Because he was a specialist. He was a, it's easy to get our mind wrapped around Hitchcock. He did thrillers. He did suspense movies. We love that. We, we love people who are specialists. The versatile directors, the truly versatile ones who could do a lot of different things, they don't get lionized as much as the specialists do. And Norman Lloyd was extraordinarily versatile um, as a player in Hollywood. And that is difficult for people to get there. It's, it's difficult for them to get around their mind on, on versatility just as writers. Or, or, or There's a guy, Ed, you're, gonna, you're all going to recognize the name, but a lot of your, your, your listeners won't. There's a fellow named uh, William F. Nolan, Bill mm-hmm. Nolan. Mm-hmm. Wonderful writer. He's got a lot of credits, worked with Dan Curtis a lot, did a lot of great science fiction. He co-wrote Logan's Run. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he's got all of these wonderful credits. But some of his credits are he's written great biographies, mysteries. He's written science fiction. He's written horror. He's written teleplays. He's written sports books. His credits are all over the map. And And he was great friends with that group of writers like Richard Matheson and Ray Bradbury and Harlan Ellison and all those guys, the group. And he's kind of not as well known as the others. And that's because people have a tough time getting their mind wrapped around a writer like Bill Nolan or a director like Robert Wise who could jump from genre to genre brilliantly. And they really get impressive when you start to put all the credits together. That's Norman Lloyd. When you put Norman Lloyd's credits together, that's when he gets really, really impressive. And then you look at the term of years that he worked. So it's a long career, and it's a wide career. But it's not a deep career in the sense that there's one thing that goes like he was a director with Hitchcock-type credits. He was an actor with Henry Fonda-type credits. No, no, he didn't have that. But he, what he did have was extraordinarily good work right across the board. And that's something we should, people should be rewarded and recognized more for in the pop culture, but we don't. He had extraordinarily good work across the board, and I understand, in fact, our mutual friend Jim Benson told me this just yesterday. My understanding is that up until about a year ago, Norman Lloyd's Recall was still pretty solid on everything. Yeah. Oh, oh uh, and I, he actually had plans post-pandemic to work again. Yeah. You know, yeah. he, he, was, he was actually in fairly good physical shape. And, you know, that, that is something that with Norman Lloyd, you'd always have to sort of 
remind people and say, okay, you can say 106, and it's a number. But, you know, sometimes you have to say, he was born before the American involvement in, in the First World War. Yeah. Yeah. He, you know, he saw two pandemics. He, you know, he was born before the Spanish influenza. He saw Babe Ruth play baseball. Yeah, you have to put these things in those kinds of terms to sort of go, World it was an incredibly twice. rich life. And it was one of the things that was enriching was he had these great partnerships, these great collaborations with these, you know, gigantic figures like Orson Welles and Alfred Hitchcock. And it is such a wide career that aspects of it get lost. Even within Alfred Hitchcock Presents, stop for a second to think, you know, not only does his name end up on some of the most iconic episodes of that incredibly important series, but nobody thinks of Norman Lloyd as a leading interpreter of Ray Bradbury. But guess what? He was. Because Ray Bradbury was a regular contributor to Alfred Hitchcock Presents in the Alfred Hitchcock Hour. It's odd. He didn't. He wasn't a regular contributor to the Outer Limits thriller or the Twilight Zone. The one great anthology series he was a regular contributor to was Alfred Hitchcock Presents, which was the one that you would think would not fit his resume. And who is the leading interpreter in Alfred Hitchcock Presents for Ray Bradbury stories but Norman Lloyd? And he directs, he produces and directs one of the best and finest of all adaptations of Ray Bradbury's work, and that's the Alfred Hitchcock Hour adaptation of The Jar with Colin Wilcox and Pat Buttram. And it's an incredible episode. <laughs> and it is, a, and again... At a time, you know, when we were going into the 1980s, there was always this kind of myth that nobody could do a good adaptation of Ray Bradbury's work, that they had all been terrible or, or disappointing at best. And, you know, that wasn't really quite true then, but it became less true because there were varying degrees of success and failure with Ray Bradbury's work over the years. But in the 1980s, when people used to say that, and they were looking for grand exceptions to people who had licked the problem, Norman Lloyd was responsible for one of those. And that was the jar. On, and Ray Bradbury himself was extraordinarily pleased with how that episode came out. So even within, we acknowledge his contribution to the Alfred Hitchcock Presents Alfred Hitchcock Hour franchise. We acknowledge how important he was to that. But even within there, his accomplishments are deceptive. That, again, is an aspect of Norman Lloyd, that the, the more you study this guy's career, the more interesting and intriguing he gets. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. Mark Dwidziak is with us to help pay tribute to legendary actor, producer, and director Norman Lloyd. Norman Lloyd, a man whose career in film, television, radio and the stage pretty much spanned the entire history of 20th century entertainment. Norman Lloyd passed away this past Tuesday, May 11th at the age of 106. Mark Dwidziak interviewed Norman Lloyd on two occasions while he was television critic for the Cleveland Plain Dealer. Tony? 
Yeah, I just Babe thought Ruth. that it was that he probably saw the Cubs win the World Series twice. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I know he was I think he was a lifelong Dodgers fan going back to Brooklyn. One of those rare well, at least in my lifetime, one of those rare people that actually continued their fandom when they went to Los Angeles, which I think is Norman Lloyd and Larry King are the only two people that I really know that have done that because uh, all of my Brooklyn relatives, the Dodgers, were dead to them when they left for Los Angeles. No, it's, it's funny that when we see all the obits for him, it's like saboteur insane elsewhere. That was what what would be in the headline. And it's like, wow, you're really burying two great things that he is known for and loved for. But wow, uh, there was so much more that you could have crammed in there. I find it amazing that he has done all of the electronic entertainment beginning in the early 20th centuries, stage, but then radio, television, features. I mean, that is, that, that's incredible. Yeah. And to be is. such an important part of all of that. And, and, and the fact that, again, you know, one of those candles. things just to sort of say, like, you know, when he, when he was born, the whole concept of feature-length movies was new when he was born, and they hadn't begun to talk yet. They're not even going to start talking for another 11, 12 years <laughs> after he's born. Uh, that, it, you know, that's just, again, he, he kind of grows up with Hollywood. Because Hollywood is at a very formative stage when Norman Lloyd is born. 1916, you know, you get the, the very, it, it's starting to happen in Hollywood. You're, start, you're starting to get sort of the whole studio system is coalescing around this time. And, you know, it, it's really going to, 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 to formalize after the war. But Norman Lloyd and Hollywood sort of grow up together. And they're on, a, you know, the, the whole entertainment industry. Radio it, it has, isn't even on the scene yet. You know, so he, he not only is part of all this, he's growing up with all of this. He's growing up with radio. Radio is a new thing in the 1920s. He's growing up with movies, and he, then he's growing up with sound movies, and then television comes along. And so he, he's able to sort of evolve with those things. Everything is new. Everything is, you know, that, that comes along is new. And that's kind of, you know, he, he, it, 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 he was able to, to find an outlet for his talents on all of these fronts. Now, whether that talent was directing or whether that talent was producing, or whether it was acting. You know, it was, was a different thing. But he found a great outlet for those abilities. Because, you know, I, I think if Norman Lloyd had concentrated on just being an actor, I think he could have been one of the great supporting character actors of the, especially the 1950s. Think of how much... Norman Lloyd's demeanor would have fit so many different genres. He would have been perfect for film noir. He would have played yes. so many types of different roles. And noir is going to really take off in the late 40s and early 50s. And Norman Lloyd could have been one of the great actors of film noir. He could have been one of the great actors in uh, sort of like the, the Vincent Price, Basil Rathbone model in, 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 in horror movies of the 19th Hammer and, and AIP and those films in the 1960s. He's got a demeanor. He could have played elderly professors and erudite uh, <laughs> explorers. He could have played things forever in those types of movies. 
I think Norman Lloyd could have been one of those things if he had not been also doing all these other things. So he, <laughs> it's like I said, you know, Norman Lloyd's putting up points. It's almost like somebody who excels at three different sports. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, he didn't become the home run king, but he also was excelling you know, in basketball and baseball at the same time. So he was the Bo Jackson of the entertainment industry. That's not a bad way to put it. That really is not a bad, bad example. Because I, I, I really do think that's true. Yeah. Is if you sort of say, well, his acting credits, he does have saboteur. And let's face it, if he doesn't fall off the Statue of Liberty, <laughs> you know, it's amazing that a fall is really responsible for... People remembering, yeah. you know, I mean, it's a great villainous role, it's a great, but it's one of the great exits yeah. of all time, you know, probably not equal until Alan Rickman uh, <laughs> and falls, Hard, falls yeah. at the end of Die Hard. Yeah. So many of the moments, it's the image of him falling off the Statue of Liberty. It's something yeah. you remember. Yeah. Yep. Generations remember. Yeah, I mean, so it's not just, it, it, it brings people back to that performance. You know, when you see the performance, you go, ooh, you know, <laughs> because he deserves to fall off the Statue of Liberty. He's playing such a great villain <laughs> that you want him to fall off the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's symbolic, it's iconic, it's all the great things. So he, that's one of those great pieces of fortune that he got, was, you know, Hitchcock gave him one of the great, great exit moments ever on film. Mark Dwidziak is with us to help pay tribute to legendary actor, producer, and director Norman Lloyd. Norman Lloyd, a man whose career in film, television, radio, and the stage pretty much spanned the entire history of 20th century entertainment. Norman Lloyd passed away this past Tuesday, May 11th, at the age of 106. Mark Dwidziak interviewed Norman Lloyd on two occasions while he was television critic for the Cleveland Plane dealer. You talked to him twice, Mark. Did he ever talk to you about working with Orson Welles? Oh, yeah, very much so. And I think he was very appreciative. You know, you talk about, if you know, you remember when Steve Allen had that show called Meeting of the Minds, mm -hmm. where he would have actors playing great people from history, and he mm -hmm. would put four unrelated people on a panel, and they would talk about a certain topic, you know. So it was, it was, a, it was a great idea. You've got to figure, if you wanted to do sort of a Hollywood version of Meeting of the Minds, two of the people you might want on that panel are Norman Lloyd and Orson Welles, because they were great storytellers. They were really wonderful storytellers. And I think that, you know, they were both very funny. They both, you know, for all of his bluster, Orson Welles didn't really take himself all that seriously. You know, if you, there's a lot of self-deprecation in Orson Welles. If you see Orson Welles in interviews with Dick Cavett repeating uh, on, on, on one of the Nostalgia channels or something, some, some such thing, you see a guy who, you know, is, I could have done more. I, I should have done more. But I think Norman Lloyd recognized somebody like himself who looked at new media coming along and thinking there are possibilities here. They looked at old stuff like the stage, and then they looked at the new stuff that came along. And they thought, there are wonderful possibilities here. And that comes from something that I think they both shared, and I think most great artists share this. And that is a, a great curiosity. I don't think you live to be 106 if you give up, 
if you stop, if you shut down, if you stop being interested in the world around you, if you stop being interested in the, the, the things around you. Norman Lloyd was an incredibly curious person. And curiosity is what leads to knowledge. Knowledge is what leads to accomplishments. But nothing starts without curiosity. It is the essential part of creativity. And Norman Lloyd had great curiosity about people, the world. I think it's one of the reasons he was so soft-spoken. You don't find out a lot about anything if you're doing all the talking all the time. So I think he recognized a curious individual in Orson Welles. I think he, inter he recognized, in some ways, a kindred spirit. The question I would have loved to have asked Norman Lloyd, and you know, we didn't really get a chance to, to go this deep into Orson Welles' career, but I would love to have thought about Orson, what Orson Welles did or didn't do with that curiosity and his talent. That chapter hadn't quite been written yet, and it is, you know, kind of the, the great question about Wells. Was it bad luck? Was it bad habits? W what happened to all that great curiosity and all of those great possibilities? That's not to say, you know, I mean, you could look at Orson Wells' career and say, what are you complaining about? <laughs> he left behind a, a, a handful of great performances. You know, he certainly transformed the medium in a lot of ways as a director. What's, what, what's the beef here? But, you know, I think there's a general conception that Orson Welles did not live up to his own talent. And I would have loved to have gotten Norman Lloyd's take on that, uh, especially with a little bit of perspective. I would have loved to have had that conversation with Norman Lloyd, say, in the 1990s, when there was enough perspective on things. And I think that would have been a very interesting conversation. I'm trying to imagine a conversation between Lloyd... John Hausman and whoever is interviewing them. That would that would be a fly in the wall ex experience. Yeah, <laughs> you know, somebody would have to be the straight man, you know, in that, in that, in that. <laughs> you know, because you've got a bunch of great storytellers there with a lot of history, and but Hausman is a, is another person who, like Norman Lloyd, gets more impressive when you put everything together, and and Hausman's got a lot of a similar career track in a lot of ways. He's one of those guys, again, who people are unaware. And probably same thing, you know, when, when Hausman died, how many of the obituaries basically said Mercury Theater and... Paper Chase. Paper Chase. Yeah. Paper right. Chase, yeah. You know, and uh, Dr. Kingsfield, you yeah. know, and that became it. That was sort of the shorthand for their career. And, you know, shorthand is never a good thing. Yeah. So. <laughs> yes. It's why we write books, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> we don't believe in shorthand, you know. <laughs> yeah. Mark Dewidziak is with us to help pay tribute to legendary actor, producer, and director Norman Lloyd. We'll continue our conversation with Mark and Tony and Donna when we come back on TV Confidential. Okay, we are running a car drive right now to help veterans all across America. So if you have an old car, truck, or van, even a motorcycle or an RV sitting around, you can right now give it away and help the vets. They really need your help. And your car will help support the vets and their families. And guess what? You even get a tax donation. Plus, we'll even come and pick up your car for free. And all you've got to do is pick up your phone right now and make a free call. Now, 
is the perfect time to do something good for the vets. Give back to the vets right now for all they've done for this country. And your old car can really help them. So call the Veterans Car Donation Program right now for free pickup of your vehicle. Help the vets and help your taxes at the same time. Call right now. 800 this portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.